really play You will never understand it Cause it happens to fast And it feels so good It's like walking the glass This is the Paul Kurtman Show On News Talk STL You can touch it and good afternoon, St. Louis. This is Paul Kurtman coming to you from the studios here at News Talk STL. And we have uh, a really good program for you today. I got another good friend of mine in the studio with me. Um, and, of course, Max Foise is uh, with us today. Thanks, Hello, Max. Everyone. Of course. Hello. Um, Max did us both a favor. Ethan and I were both kind of cutting it close. <laughs> cutting it close today. I sent I sent Max a text and I was telling him, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to arrive. I'm going to be there. Yeah. I'm going to be right there at the minute. And I tell you what. So that's I, fine. I, I'll, I'll look for your guest about 10 till. I'll look for you at the minute. Neither of you are here, but that's okay. We go on at 06. I want to say it was about 03 or so, but my yeah. host showed up, so it's okay. Well, it was funny because uh, I got a text from Epen, and he's like, uh, where's this place at? And I'm looking at my clock, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was only it was just a couple minutes before the hour, so we had to finally was able to kind of talk him down here but well, you guys are here and it's gonna be a fantastic it. hour it's gonna be a great hour um one of the things i get to talk about so i got when i was in the legislature i actually got i got multiple pieces of legislation through the house and through the senate usually though as an amendment to somebody else's bill because you know that's just one of the ways you get stuff done you can't always have your name on the bill and if you're not interested in the fanfare and being the bill sponsor to you know stand by the governor sometimes you get stuff done as an amendment so i did a lot of that I actually had one bill that was actually signed by the governor uh, throughout all eight years in Jefferson City as a state lawmaker, and that bill uh, was to legalize the growth and cultivation of industrial hemp, which is a bill I had worked on for years, but I would not have worked on it had it not been for our guest, Epen, Epen Thampy. And, I, and, and it, it, your last name is, do you pronounce yeah. it Thampy? Or, yeah. That, okay. That's, that's I've correct. heard different people say it different ways. I'm like, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's Ethan Thampy. Um, Ethan, tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us a little bit about uh, uh, your issues that you work on in Jefferson City. There's two issues that I want to talk about today. One of them is the marijuana issue. It's becoming more, uh, people are becoming, it's more palatable between not just Democrats, but Democrats and Republicans to legalize in one form or another. Let's talk a little bit about that first. But then after that, I want to talk a little bit about the cryptocurrency legislation that you're working on, because this is becoming uh, a bigger issue globally. Two co- two countries now have recognized Bitcoin as their legal, as a legal tender uh, recognized by the state. And so cryptocurrency is, I think it's going to get there here in the U.S. eventually. But I want to talk about that, too. But let's start out with a little bit about you, um, a little bit about where you're from, how you came to work in these issues, and we'll just kind of kick it off that way. Well, uh, Paul, you know, I grew up actually here in St. Louis. I went to Parkway North, um, and about <laughs> 20, 22 odd years ago, I was uh, on the Parkway North High School debate team. I was a policy debater, and that's really where I got exposed to a lot of issues that are very current right now. Uh, war on drugs type type issues, uh, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of policy stuff. You know, it was it was policy debate. Um, so I really got exposed to a lot of these issues that are considered emerging issues about twenty twenty odd years ago in high school debate. I went to Mizzou, uh, studied economics and math. Uh, then I uh, about twelve years ago I got into politics. I uh, 
was one of the sm- small group of people who started the legalization movement here in the state of Missouri. Um, and now uh, I'm a registered lobbyist in Jefferson City today. Uh, so I work on marijuana legalization. I got a, a psychedelic medicine bill filed with uh, our good friend Tony Lavosco. Um, and then I also uh, I'm taking on cryptocurrency issues uh, in the next couple of years. And we got a bill filed with uh, Phil Christofinelli this year. So on the marijuana issue, I remember probably back around 2012, maybe. I mean, it was early on, probably in my eight years there. Uh, Mike Colonna introduced I think he introduced the CBD bill. Uh, that was Caleb Jones. Caleb Jones introduced the bill. Mike Colonna worked on it a lot. I remember he was on the committee because we were both on that committee that heard it. And that was probably the first would you say that that's the first step towards the legislature actually really being serious about taking up an issue that had to do with cannabis? Yeah, you know, uh, heck, you know, Chris Kelly. Um, Chris Kelly actually, I think, filed the first uh, legalization bill. This is probably 2008 or so. Um, Chris then, Kelly being a former Democrat lawmaker who's also a judge. I think he's still a judge. Maybe. He's, a, he's a retired judge. A retired actually, judge out in Columbia. Yeah, I actually saw him uh, a couple weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, Dave Hinson from St. Clair took on the issue, 2014-15 era. Um, Then I worked with uh, Representative Dr. Jim Neely from Cameron in 2017 and 18. We got that medical marijuana bill out of the House in a 112 to 44 vote. And I remember you gave a a great speech on the House floor on uh, uh, veteran suicide and how uh, Mm -hmm. it could be potentially alleviated in some ways through through, uh, cannabis use. And so uh, um, Chris Kelly... Democrat Mike Colonna, who we were talking about, a Democrat here from St. Louis, but then also kind of as the issue grew, uh, Dave Henson's a Republican from Franklin County, and then uh, Caleb Jones, also a Republican. Um, uh, so this has become an, like a cross-party issue. I remember, I remember polling my district out in Washington, Missouri, Washington and Union, kind of that north uh, eastern quadrant, northeastern third of Franklin County. And it was like 70%. 70% of all the voters that I polled, it was over 70%, I think it was 71 maybe 72% of all the voters that I polled were for legalization, at least for medicinal purposes. I didn't go like towards the recreation route. But, I mean, that just really shows that this that this is the trend. Like, this is the way what's going to happen. And probably at some point it's going to be, I would imagine, right, federal government winds up taking it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, President Biden actually campaigned on the decriminalization of marijuana. Uh, we'd like to see him keep that promise. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, but no, you know, here in the state of Missouri, it's a native agriculture. You know, here in St. Louis, uh, our city's founder, Pierre Laclede, was a hemp trader. Uh, we have a long history of, of cannabis production and use, in either in an industrial format or for, you know, uh, you know as a drug. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know... I think the con- there has been a lot of controversy associated with marijuana in the past few years, but not particularly with the actual use of the of the of the plant or, or uh, use of the drug. It's been over the licensing, right? And so, you recall in 2018, we were warning about the ballot initiative uh, group that wanted to put medical marijuana in the Missouri Constitution, and they got 66 percent of the vote. Um, because the state of Missouri was like, we have to have this, you know, the, yeah. people, the citizens were ready. We almost got it. We, we got it out of the House that year. It died in the Senate. Um, and then ultimately we saw it go into the Missouri Constitution. And the issue with it today is not about uh, use. It's about licensing. Right. So the group that put the uh, medical marijuana proposal in the Constitution 
uh, they had license caps and and they had a uh, licensing protocol that uh, courts have now now called uh, arbitrary and corrupt. There's been hundreds of lawsuits. So the license laws were called arbitrary and corrupt. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and so now we have a situation in the state of Missouri where a uh, small group of wealthy and connected folks own most of the own most of the licenses, and uh, you know that's I think the issue that we're going to face this year is that uh, you know I'm working with Representative Ron Hicks from St. Charles, and he's got a great marijuana legalization bill. We're going to get it out of the House, but. Uh, we probably don't have time to get it through the Senate this year unless the governor calls a special session, um, which who knows. Um, I, but there is a big issue with the – there's a group called Legal Missouri. They're uh, trying to put uh, recreational marijuana in the Missouri Constitution. It is essentially a monopoly propo- proposal. It gives uh, 90% of the market to uh, the people who got licenses in the medical marijuana program. But it gets a lot worse, actually, because, as you know, Paul, the left has figured out that one of the ways that they can accomplish their agenda and get things done that – our conservative legislature won't do and our voters won't do if they're presented with a straight up choice is they bury things deep in these ballot initiatives for super popular issues like Mm -hmm. marijuana legalization. And let me tell you something. So this legal Missouri campaign that wants to put recreational uh, marijuana into the Missouri Constitution, if you go down 27 or 28 pages into the ballot initiative itself, they want to create a constitutional state office called the chief equity officer to use uh, critical race theory to propagandize their licensing scam, right? So this is actually a very dangerous issue, right, because the conservatives in the legislature, you have like over a dozen that have tried to file some kind of legislation to prohibit this kind of indoctrination in our public schools, but the left has figured out a a way to circumvent that by creating uh, a a, a basis for this uh, uh, ideology in the Constitution, in our Missouri Constitution. I I, I tell you what, I just want to interrupt real quick to tell any of our listeners uh, something that you and I both know for sure after having dealt on the worked on this issue. It is a terrible idea to put 28 pages in the Constitution. It is a terrible idea for, for voters to go to the polls to add something to the Missouri Constitution. If you want to make marijuana legal, whether it's medicinal or recreational, whatever you want to do to make sure something's legal, it should just be like one sentence. That the legislature shall not infringe, kind of like the Second Amendment, shall not infringe on the right of the people to buy or sell or transact or whatever. But to put 28 pages and to create an office and to actually create economic uh, regulations, which are usually left up to economic regulators or the legislature, to put all that in the Constitution, terrible, terrible, terrible idea. Uh, For the most part, I am am incredibly uh, wildly against Amending the Constitution with anything that requires 28 pages mm-hmm. worth of laws. You know, and there's another issue there, too, is that they're creating a constitutional monopoly for the for the for the people who have medical marijuana licenses right now. So this is a very dangerous thing because you, you allow them they're they're trying to, to capture the market. And, there, and and when you concentrate wealth like that, you concentrate power, mm-hmm. and that power can be used in a number of ways, right? And this would institutionalize the wealth and the power, yeah. Because when you like when you create who can and can't get a license, and you put it in the Constitution, if anybody ever wants to change those laws, you can't go back to your lawmaker. You literally have to go back to the whole state and get something put on the ballot for everybody to vote on, and then at that point. Uh, you you called it you know uh, capture. 
you know, regulatory capture or uh, legislative capture, in this case, constitutional capture, if they can actually use the Constitution and weaponize it against other people to prevent them from breaking into the marketplace, um, that's what we're saying. That's what you're pointing out. Yeah. Like consolidates that wealth and that power and makes it harder for anybody else to get in. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredibly dangerous situation, right? Mm-hmm. Because once you have a, I mean, this is a two, potentially $3 billion industry in the state of Missouri. Um, you know, and if, if one small group of, of crony capitalists can capture that revenue stream, that's, uh, that's a, uh, that's a revenue stream that can be used and is being used to to promote agendas that the people of Missouri have rejected through mm-hmm. their elected officials. Yeah. Man, it's such a it's such an important first of all, the issue is an important issue, but the underlying issue here is how much do people really understand um, our system of laws and lawmaking? And, you know, it's important for people to understand how this works, because otherwise you might go to the ballot box thinking this is in your best interest. And really, it's just 28 pages. Is that really what the law is like? Well, it's, it's more like worth? 30. It's more like 36. But you go down to page 27, 28. That's where they have this uh, chief equity officer that they want to create a state constitutional office out of. And that's buried somewhere in 36 pages. But all people are going to see on the ballot is like half a paragraph. Yeah. It's like 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 people are going to vote whether or not we should amend the Missouri Constitution with 30, 36 pages worth of legislation. And we're going to make that decision based off of the amount of words that are in a tweet. <laughs> can, yeah. you imagine, can you imagine amending the Constitution? You don't know exactly what's in this 36-page bill, but hey, I read a tweet about it. You know, it just doesn't make any sense. Yep. It doesn't make any sense. But that's a big part of that has to do with the fact that most people don't understand when they go to the ballot box to vote on something like this, that that it, that what can fit on the ballot is not what you're actually voting on. You're voting on pages and pages and pages worth. And there's stuff there's stuff that's buried in there. What about the cryptocurrency? Let's let's switch gears real quick. I want to talk about this before we come up to a break. But what what's going on with the cryptocurrency? And if we have to do this after the break, we'll do it then too. But let's get started right now. What's the state of cryptocurrency in Missouri? Uh, what's what is it that we're trying to change with legislation? So I got a, I worked with a representative Phil Chris Finale this year to get a bill filed, and what it does is it exempts cryptocurrency from property tax, it exempts it from securities regulation, uh, it exempts it from money uh, transmitter licensing requirements, and we and we define digital assets and blockchain and some of the related terms in the Uniform Commercial Code. So kind of boring stuff, but it's important because if enacted, this proposal would give investors a little bit more certainty, give startups and and entrepreneurs and consumers a little bit more certainty. Um, You know, we kind of took a page from what Wyoming has done, which Wyoming has the nation's strongest uh, uh, legal framework for cryptocurrency and blockchain applications. Uh, they, They, for instance, they allow decentralized autonomy organizations, which are essentially governance mechanisms that are uh, executed through smart contracts on a blockchain. Can you give me an example of one of those? That was that was a lot of jargon right there. <laughs> yeah. what, what exactly are we talking about when you say that? So a smart contract is a self-executing contract that's written in code, and you can put that on a, uh, on a blockchain uh, technology like Ethereum, right? So like... We can have a contract between you and me, and that says, "Okay, uh, when under when these when when you and I uh, complete you know a set of conditions, um, you know this contract is executed, right, and it's verifiable, and, and everyone can read it and and, and analyze it." And so, by putting it on the blockchain, it creates so we can, a, we can a re- it's basically record keeping. 
basically. Okay. You know, so this is a, this is a, a great way to create uh, contracts. Um, so, like, de- decentralized autonomous organizations or is an organization that exists is created through such a contract, right? So, like, let's say uh, a great example was uh, a couple months ago, a, uh, a decentralized autonomous organization formed for the purpose of buying an auction copy of the United States Constitution. I had heard about this. Right? So, yeah. so the contract said, you put your money in, this governance governing group is going to take care of the bidding on the on the uh, uh, with the money that we collect, and if we win the the auction for the U.S. Constitution, you own a percentage of it based on. Uh, you know your your input of of funds, right? And, and all of this is recorded, mm-hmm. like an accountant would record in a ledger. All of this is recorded on the blockchain, and everybody that's part of the blockchain has access to it and can see who owns what. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I want to make sure I understood it. I'm uh, not the best at explaining how blockchain works, so I th- I think I <laughs> nailed it there. Um, so it's super cool, right? Because like you can you can have governance, uh, you can create organizations without. You know the the traditional legal system without the traditional government. You know, you know, nation state governance, mm-hmm. right? You can create organizations that are borderless, right? Because like to be part of this organization, all you do is you have to you put you know money. You send you uh, you send Ethereum to this you know blockchain address, and you get a governance token that says that here you know I I own part of you know I've got this share of this. Uh, Organization. And so the legislation that uh, Representative Christopher Nelly is introducing mm-hmm. would lock just cryptocurrencies or blockchain assets, even including a contract. Yeah, we make we, it exempt from taxation, from property taxes, make it exempt from uh, SEC regulations, securities regulations. Okay. So the state of Missouri has its own securities laws. Right. right, right. We don't we don't touch what the SEC does. That's federal. That's right. So we would be blocking it off. We would making sure that our Secretary of State, who is the regulator for mm-hmm. Missouri uh, registered securities, he can't touch it. He won't be able to regulate it. His regulators are hands off. Basically, well, see, this is something that should go in the Constitution. This is something that would be very easy to put, like in a Bill of Rights. Like, in addition to you, you have the right to keep and bear arms and it shall not be, be infringed, uh, you have the right to own and collect digital assets, mm-hmm. and they shall not be regulated by the sec- Missouri securities, securities regulators. regulators right. Yeah. You know, so, and then, you know, let's talk about Bitcoin specifically. Uh, do, you, do you own any Bitcoin? Um, yeah, I've got some. Well, I have some. Uh, I do have some cryptocurrency, and I have some ETFs that are tied to cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. So Bitcoin is particularly exciting, right? Because it's a hard currency. It's a non-inflationary um, currency. You know, there's only only so many Bitcoin that can be mined or created, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you're seeing a lot more Bitcoin adoption, particularly right now, because people are understanding. You know, our Congress uh, has a spending addiction, and the Federal Reserve is en- enabling it. I mean, like something like some crazy number, like forty percent of the United States dollars right now in circulation have been printed in the last two three years. Yeah, right. So, I mean, <laughs> and we're seeing, you know, with the you know, so like right now is. You know, in an economic situation, we're seeing compounding effects of of money printing that creates inflation and then all the supply shocks from, you know, the COVID pandemic and its aftermath, right? All kind of hitting at the same time, right? So, like, one thing that everyone in the state of Missouri understands is that, you know, if you put food on the table, your dollar is worth 7 10% less than it was last year, mm-hmm. right? So, now people are understanding, look, 
we if we can if we can utilize a monetary a technology like Bitcoin that's non-inflationary that can't be scammed or, or uh, gimmicked by you know Federal Reserve or some secretive group you know in, in the government um, you know that's a much better solution that's a way for us to store wealth and retain the value of our labor right uh, hedge against inflation so you're seeing a lot more adoption of cryptocurrency and Bitcoin specifically right now for those reasons uh, Federal Reserve is investigating and will likely create a central bank cryptocurrency. Good idea or bad idea? Highly opposed. Highly opposed. Me too. That's exactly <laughs> how I feel about it. I do not want them turning all of our all of our like recognized money. I don't want I don't want us to be on a blockchain forced by the federal government that we can only buy and sell on blockchain. I don't know exactly how this all works, but I am one I would rather be able to I like the idea of being able to keep cash mm-hmm. and putting it in a shoebox or burying it somewhere. Even with inflation, because at least you know you have it, and maybe nobody else knows that you have it. You can use it for whatever you want. You can save it. You can do whatever you want with it. But if the federal government has a blockchain technology, if they have a blockchain currency that we then have to use... Then suddenly they have a way to force us into a a completely surveilled world of financial And you have to conform. Because right. my guess is they could probably... I don't know exactly how this works. I'm not a programmer. I don't know the first thing about creating a blockchain, uh, but you might. And I need to get somebody in here maybe to talk about this. Could they turn off your money? Yeah. Can they program that, so it can't be spent on different things? That, that's the whole point of uh, central bank digital currencies is that the government suddenly is put in position of controlling what is spent, how it's spent, where it's spent. They can seize your money without... With, you know, a click of a mouse. So, like, if we would have had a central bank cryptocurrency a year and a half ago, President Biden could have easily said, hey, vaccine, you got to get the vaccine. Come on, people. Because he kept saying this. Like, he was really pushing this. He was, like, dividing people over this. Um, He could have said, in 30 days, if you don't have the vaccine, then the cryptocurrency that's registered to you, it's being shut off, or you're going to only get essentials you can only get food and water or something right, like that right like, see that man that is so scary that's that's why i am 100% opposed to any type of regulation over cryptocurrency the whole legislature needs to understand like this is the this is like the last frontier for sovereignty it, for individual liberty in this country it centers around this cryptocurrency issue but the thing is is when you're talking about blockchain it is so far over most people's head like it is mine mm-hmm. that it's really easy for people to tune out not realizing how much is at stake regarding their own personal and economic freedom mm-hmm. you know who you should uh, maybe uh, have on here to explain some more of the more technical aspects of uh, blockchain technology is uh, Eric Burleson you know, yeah you know, he's uh, state op- senator Eric Burleson yep. from Springfield who's running for Congress yeah that's right yep. he's running for Congress yep. in uh, Billy Long's seat mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so is he working on this issue right now also you know by profession he's an options trader and a software engineer so he's you know I, I actually had a conversation with uh, Burleson this year where he was telling me he's actually done coding of uh, certain blockchain applications I didn't get into too many specifics but he does have a very good very technical understanding oh wow man yeah. that would be a that, so he's he's built it or at least participated in the construction and structuring mm-hmm. out of blockchain and tech. then and then who someone else you might consider talking to as well as Taylor Burks who's running for fourth congressional district for Vicky Harris receipt I know he's close yeah. to the cryptocurrency issue and I think I think he's done I don't know how I don't know what his investments look like but I know he knows a lot about it so yeah, he he's been in he actually seeded his congressional campaign with one and a half Bitcoin no kidding yeah wow yeah 
the the Federal Election Committee didn't like that too much, but uh, well, actually, they they allow you to in, uh, use cryptocurrency for your campaign, but you yeah. have to as soon as you put it into your campaign account, you have to convert to cash. Yeah, U.S. dollars. Yeah, because it's not a legal tender. Yeah, not federally. Yeah, not yeah. federally. Man, that's amazing. <laughs> I I remember uh, a few campaigns back. Um, I think Rand Paul had done this. Austin mm-hmm. Peterson did this when he was running for U.S. Senate in Missouri in 2018. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, different people were taking Bitcoin. I w- you and I had talked about this once before. Um, I think I talked about it with a few others, but you know, when I do these events, I would like to be able to somehow open that up to being able to take cryptocurrency or Bitcoin. You know, I yeah. I, I think, but I think like we we're talking about, like this is like the last frontier of personal liberty, and I think that it would be highly advantageous to our freedom for people who own and operate businesses to find a way to to structure out their transactional process to allow for crypto. Yeah, I mean. It's pretty simple in, in a lot of in a lot of ways. You can use a, a hardware uh, wallet or a, uh, a non custodial wallet s- s- scenario to uh, take cryptocurrency for as a as a payment. Um, there is a variety of applications and, and uh, programs that let you do that. Um, you're seeing a lot more Bitcoin adoption right now. You know, I just did an event in Kansas City with the Kansas City Bitcoiners, uh, where they. Uh, uh, you know, did a street festival and every single vendor they had, uh, the, r- the rule was you can have a table, but you have to exclusively take and process your payments uh, through Bitcoin. So like, you know, the the club shows up, edu- you know, they, they uh, had the Mexican restaurant uh, next door taking Bitcoin and serve, mm-hmm. ser- selling a spear for Bitcoin. <laughs> it, was, it was awesome. I think, yeah, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Yep. Um, what's our time look like here, Max? All right. Yeah. Hey, we're going to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to hit a couple of the headlines throughout the week. Um, Epen, I'd like to get some of your thoughts on a little bit of this. And then, of course, we're going to wind up finishing the hour with our Libs of TikTok segment like we always do. Uh, so make sure that you stick around till after the break. This is Paul Kurtman in the studio with Max Foise and Epen Thampy here on News Talk STL. You're listening to The Paul Kurtman Show on News Talk STL. Ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. When Rudy Giuliani shared that intel from Ukraine, or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain, they're laundering disinfo when we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice, or vote. Oh. This is the point of the show we're going to say we're kidding, we're making all of this up. It's not really happening in the country you were born in, but it is happening. That's now a law enforcement official. Okay, that's Tucker Carlson talking about Nina Jankowitz, uh, who's going to be the new czar of truth in America. The czar of truth. Can you believe that? What a title that is. This is Paul Kurtman here at News Talk STL. Uh, we got Max Foise and Eben Thampy in the studio today. And before we talk a little bit about this, I do want to mention something. We've, we talked a lot about cryptocurrency, which... You know, I work in the markets. Um, I have a registered investment advisory firm, and so I'm close to the issue, but I don't know enough about the issue. But uh, we know who is, and that is Crypto World. And today at 5 o'clock, you can actually tune back in 
and hear the Crypto World radio show. If you want to learn more about cryptocurrencies, Crypto World is the place to go. And you can also, for sure, absolutely find them here every Saturday uh, from 5 to 6. Learn a little bit more about cryptocurrency. And since it is the last bastion of personal and economic freedom, I highly advise you to maybe, maybe if there's... Even if there's a little political rally and you want to go carry a sign that says, you know, let's go, Brandon. If it is between the hours of five and six on Saturday, I would recommend you actually listen to uh, the Crypto World Radio Show. It'll be very enlightening. And uh, like I said, last bastion of personal and economic freedom, cryptocurrency is. Okay, let's get back to this. Even we have uh, we have the Zara Truth, Nina Jankowitz, and I might be saying her name wrong. I'm not sure if it's Jankowitz. It looks like Jankowitz to me. But in that clip, first of all, I want to say she's a good singer. She, that's pretty good. She's got a good voice. She actually sounds a little bit like Mary Poppins. But she actually says what the rest of us already know in her little song she wrote, that when you say something from a position of authority, that's how you hide the fact that it's a lie because it's coming from a position of authority. She says it in her own little ditty here. People say it from Congress or the mainstream media. So how incredibly frighteningly ironic is it that now she is the czar of truth? And how in the world is that new position of authority not going to be used to spread lies to the rest of the American people? Am I the only one that sees this? I mean, it's incredibly Soviet. <laughs> it, it's, 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 it very much is so incredibly Soviet. That's a really good way to put it even. But... But because people are lying in Congress and because people are lying in the mainstream media, the Biden administration thinks that the best way to combat lies being told from a position of authority is to form another position of authority by which you can tell, I'm sure President Biden would say this, your truth, or in this case, his truth. And and let me just point this out. I think, Max, you and I talked about this once before. This whole idea of your truth and my truth, there's no such thing. There's only truth. And To the point in her little song she was singing, people will try to speak to the truth or they will try to convince everybody about what actually is true. And they do it from a position of authority. And that's what's so crazy about this. The fact that the United States government, the presidential administration is actually creating, staffing and manning a committee. They call it the Committee on Disinformation. That in and of itself is a lie called the Committee on Truth. Just call it what it is. Call it the Committee on Truth, because if it's a committee on disinformation, you can only talk about what is disinformation if you have the truthful information. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to label it in a way that seems very gentle, but all they're doing is coming right at you to tell you what they want you to believe. To have any government decide what is true should be very frightening to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you have, and it's within the Department of Homeland Security. Which is even more scary. What, let's consider this. The czar of truth exists. This is an office that exists inside of a federal department that has its own military. Yeah. They have their own SWAT teams. This is Tucker said it here at the end of this clip. He said, that's a law enforcement official. That's a law enforcement official with ammunition, like literal ammunition and body armor and SWAT teams and everything else. And they're going to be deciding what's true and what's not true. You know, I remember uh, uh, when I was in high school debate, 
uh, one of the there was an education topic that came up, and uh, we we're talking. You know, what, well, there was a debate case actually that referenced the fact that the Department of Education has its own SWAT team. <laughs> the post you office. Know. I think the post office. I can't remember if the post office does or doesn't, but the post office put in an order for like eight hundred thousand rounds of ammunition. This was a headline that like came out, and Rand Paul was talking about it a few years back. Yeah. Yeah, why does the Department of Education need a SWAT I'll tell you why they need a SWAT team. <laughs> this here's why. Now, a minute ago I said, like, this is them, wep- like, they're weaponizing, you know, the the truth or what they want us to believe, their propaganda, right, against the American people. I think uh, I think Mon- or Wednesday I put out my Kurtman's take. So I do this Kurtman's take Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Wednesday's Kurt, no, no, Friday's Kurtman's take. So just yesterday, the clip that I played was from a speech that President Biden gave on Wednesday to the National Teachers Association, I think. It was the Teacher teacher of the Year ceremony at the White House. And he was pushing back against parents, and he was propping up and basically giving a pep talk to all the teachers. And he said, these aren't someone else's kids. These are our kids. That's what he's telling teachers. Like, no, 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 no. These are not our kids. These are my kids. You know, my four children are not our children. They're my children. And if they're in school, then it just means I'm trusting you with them. I'm trusting you with their education. But that does not make them yours just because they walk through your door. So, you know, uh, that reminds me. um, The homeschooling population is exploding right now. Mm -hmm. People are dropping out of uh, public education system for good reason. Mm -hmm. You know, because... Now you have a federal government that's promulgating all these like insane education requirements. Uh, you know, you're, you're seeing the emergence of new ideologies that are being propagated by uh, teachers' unions and associations. Uh, you know, you're seeing revisionist history. You're seeing racial essentialism, right? Um, and and people are rejecting that. I, I think the most significant political movement I have seen in my lifetime is this movement of people running for school boards in every single jurisdiction um, you can imagine, right? Because people are scared that the education institutions are literally being weaponized against, you know, the family, you know, the as a core unit of society. Sorry, everybody. That was me. <laughs> Sorry. Um you're absolutely right about this, but with people pushing back and with the explosion of the homeschool movement, I mean, my hope, though, is that states begin to take this authority back from the federal government because there's really no other way to do it, right? The Department of Education didn't exist until the 70s, maybe? 1970s yeah, or something? Yeah, 70s-ish. Yeah. So the only thing that can really be done here to empower parents is for states to just start taking the control back. But um, I'm not. I'm just not optimistic about that. Well, you know, uh, hopefully this November when we, the Republicans take back the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate, you know, you'll start seeing some some uh, efforts to peel back the size of the federal government. I mean, I, it's going to have to happen at some point. I mean, we're just from a deficit reduction standpoint. Um, but now I think you have fundamentals within society uh, that are v- creating, you know, very significant political demands to reduce the influence of federal education authority, to reduce the influence of, the, 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 you know, the, the, the reckless money printing and spending. Um, you know, I've, we may, I'm, I'm optimistic, we have an opportunity to start paring back the size of the federal government. I'm not optimistic, though. Here's what I think is going to happen. I'm gonna, I've been right. I've unfortunately been right about some things here in the last few months. 
I think if the Republicans take power, if the Republicans take back the White House, I don't even think they get rid of the disinformation board. I think then they're like, okay, now it's ours. Now it's our turn. That's what I think is going to happen. I think the only two people that would do this, part of me says Trump would do it. And then the other part of me is Trump would like slap his hands together and be like, my turn, you know, and then and then he takes it. I think DeSantis would get rid of it. I think DeSantis might get rid of it. But I don't think I just don't think that it goes away. I don't think it goes away. I don't think anybody in Congress is going to do anything more with it than maybe uh, have a couple sound bites during committee. Because, I mean, listen, look, we've had scandals and Congress never did anything about the scandals except have committee meetings. And this is when Republicans were in charge. Lois Lerner targeting conservative groups. I mean, if, if there was ever a time to get something done, Congress was completely dominated by Republicans, both the House and the Senate. And Trump was in the White House. Nobody went to jail. Nobody got in trouble. Um, uh, what was the other one? What was the gun running scandal? Fast and Furious. So, I mean, like we've seen so many scandals where people have literally died. Look at COVID. 800,000 plus Americans have died. Nobody's in trouble. Nobody's going to jail. In fact, let's just look at Biden's administration. You got COVID. You got the fallout of Afghanistan. And between all the crazy stuff that has happened just in the last uh, uh, couple of years, the only person that I can think of that's gotten in any trouble was this Marine Corps Colonel Stuart Schiller, who called out the command and said, hey, did anybody say that going into Afghanistan like this was a bad idea or pulling out of Afghanistan was a bad idea? All he did was ask the question, but he did it on social media. And so he got fired and he got court martialed. Like nobody else is getting in trouble. I don't think this disinformation board, I don't think anything happens. I think, I actually think um, that it stays and that the Republicans just try to use it. I think that the genie's out of the bottle and it ain't going back in. I mean, the nature of government is to grow, you know, and one of the things that happens when you get elected is, uh, to Congress is uh, you begin getting lobbied by the same agencies you're trying to regulate. And that becomes a very difficult thing to push back on, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and we've experienced that in Missouri. Mm-hmm. We'll touch on that just for a brief moment when we come back. Plus, we have our Libs of TikTok segment, Groomers, on NBC. They got a whole television show grooming children into the transgender community. We're going to play the clip. We're going to play the commercial from that when we come back. This is Paul Kurtman with Max Foise and Impen Thappy right here at News Talk STL. Follow Paul on social media at Paul Kurtman. I first discovered drag at 13. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I wanted it. Put on the wig and the makeup, and I'm someone completely different. I'm so proud! My drag name is Vanessa Shimmer, and she is just a force you cannot reckon with. How do I parent a child that wants to do drag? I never expected drag to be a part of our lives. Oh my God, these are so cute. These are problems I never thought I had to prepare for. What I love about drag is the glitz and the glam. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and stop right there. That is a new NBC show called Generation Drag, which follows five very young teenagers. So we're talking like 13 and 14, follows five of these kids 
uh, to different drag competitions, and it says it documents their drag journey as they find their identities. Let me just tell you something. This, this show is going to be on regular network television, and my guess is that every pedophile in the country right now is making sure that they're blocking their time off so they can watch a show like this. This shows young boys uh, dressed very scantily clad, very feminine, uh, dressed in wigs and high heels, and it shows them dancing on stages in ways that are very provocative. This is all just in the commercial. Do you remember all the outrage that came out when Netflix did something similar with uh, Cuties? This, This is like the exact same thing. And this is on network television. You don't even have to have cable. You don't have to have dish. You don't have to have any of that. As long as you got an antenna or whatever it is that we have to use now the to because everything changed a number of years ago. Whatever that takes. That's all you have to have is this. This is a television show that is grooming both the kids and the parents. 13 years old, doing strip competitions, strip teases, dressed in drag. Can you believe this is the 2022 United States of America? I think it's amazing in? that the left is this I mean, the left has captured our entertainment ins- institutions, and now we're seeing the widespread commodification of essentially the sex trade industry. You know, we're sexualizing children, and advertisers are paying for it. Yeah, they're paying for it. They're paying for it because they want to remain. They think that this is, this is what they have to do to be socially relevant, which completely blows my mind. To be socially relevant, to make it look like you're you're aware or woke, you're gonna put advertising. You're gonna you're gonna advertise Mattel toys on a show. And I don't know if Mattel's a sponsor. I'm just like using them or, as or an Disney. example. Or Disney, <laughs> yeah, or, or Disney, or, or there's another one. You know, but you know, like what Trump said it best: go woke, go broke. We're gonna see what happens. We're already seeing what's happened with Disney. I mean. Their stock's just been plummeting, and now they're completely going into financial chaos now because of everything going on with the laws that are being passed down there. But this is the world we live in. This is the America we live in. It's amazing. It is. I mean, it's amazing that – well, it's also amazing that we had DeSantis and the Florida Republicans stand up to it. I, I did not expect that to happen. I thought, you know, the, I mean, we've, we've seen so much of corporate America – Buying off, you know, or state governments and kowtowing to China. Yeah, and I'm, uh, I'm amazed that DeSantis and the Florida Republicans well, actually did something. I'm glad they did. Hope we can see more leadership like that out of uh, some of these Republicans pushing it back against sexualizing children. This is Paul Kerbin here at News Talk SDL. Thanks, Max. Appreciate your help today. Thanks for coming in today, Epin. We'd love to have you back on. You can join us next week here at News Talk STL. Make sure you tune into Cryptical World tonight at five. Politician.